conditions Not free market propaganda and corrupt politicians Cause they owned by special interest groups that fund their campaign That's why you hear the same old things they claim Welcome to the Project Censored Radio Show I am your host for this week, Eleanor Goldfield In a special episode today, we discuss the situation in Iran with Iranian-American activist and scholar Leila Zand. She contextualizes recent events by highlighting the importance of understanding not only the history of Iran, but also the United States, and cautions us against using events as an excuse for continued U.S. imperialist aggression. People all over the world have the right to self-determination, be it in terms of government or how they dress. Zahn's work pushes for these ideals to be actualized without violence. All this and more coming up now on Project Censored. Hello and welcome to the Project Censored show. I am your host for this week, Eleanor Goldfield, and we will soon be diving into a conversation with Iranian-American activist and scholar Leila Zand. But first, I wanted to start off with this beautiful quote by an Iranian filmmaker, uh, Marjana Satrapi, who said, quote, the world is not divided between East and West. You are American. I am Iranian. We don't know each other, but we talk and we understand each other perfectly. The difference between you and your government is much bigger than the difference between you and me. And the difference between me and my government is much bigger than the difference between me and you. And our governments are very much the same. End quote. I've used that quote so many times, and it is always a perfect, a perfect headline for what is to come, which is so often discussions of misunderstandings, the propagandization, particularly that we experience uh, vis-a-vis Iran here in the United States. And the recent events are no different. And Layla will go into that more in depth. Uh, But I think that it's important speaking as an American uh, to I I believe predominantly Americans who are listening to this show, (laughs) that we not let ourselves be carried away on this bandwagon of, uh, of sort of shallow support, shallow and passive support for the women of Iran, which in reality is actually not support. So folks might remember not too long ago when uh, the United States pulled troops out of out of, out of Afghanistan, all of a sudden there was this outcry. Oh my gosh, we can't leave. What about the women of Afghanistan? And it seemed a very odd thing to be bringing up for those of us who have been watching this war happen for the past 20 years. Like, did the United States uh, occupation of Afghanistan for 20 years not destroy women's lives? Because I feel like it does, and it did. And our sanctions in Afghanistan aren't those set to kill more people in one year than 20 years of actual warfare did? So riddle me this, where was the concern for Af- for women in Afghanistan during that occupation? And of course, the answer to this is that there was no concern, there is no concern. And so it's very important to have a critical lens when looking at the corporate media support or care for women pretty much anywhere, but in particular in the Middle East, because it seems more often than not that women in the Middle East are used as a pawn for U.S. imperialist policy. 
And this, of course, does not mean that one should not support the right of women all over the world to be autonomous and to be self-actualized and to dress however they want to do want to and and be however they want to be but there's a difference between saying we support the women of Iran in a an American imperialist sense and as Marjana Satrapi said in a more person to person as opposed to government to government way we should have solidarity for the people of Iran because we are also people and we recognize the importance of justice. We recognize the importance of, of freedom and liberty. And we recognize also that we, as, as people in the United States, also do not have full rights over ourselves and over our own futures. And though that looks different, of course, than it does in Iran, our connection to the Iranian people should not be, oh, we want to see your government topple. It should be, we want to see you choose your future and actualize it. And we support you in that endeavor. That's how it should look. Because it can so quickly devolve and derail into, oh, and now we're just invading, invading Iran because women. I also want to point out the importance of of having nuance in these in, in in these discussions and in these considerations multiple things can be true at once right iran's government can be oppressive not least of all towards women protests in the street are always legitimate if they are organized by and on behalf of the people who live there of community members and then it is also true that the U.S. empire is the largest terrorist organization in the world and has a long history of toppling governments for its own economic and political purposes. And this is very true in Iran. The U.S. and, and the CIA actually admitted it in 2013 that they had a hand in the coup of 19, 1953 in Iran. So, and I mean, even if they didn't publicly admit it, it's it's very clear but so I think that nuance is also important to highlight that multiple things can be true at once. And I just wanted to point out uh, uh, one one last thing before we, we shift to the interview with Layla, which I, which is not in the interview itself. Uh, and I and I'm, I'm saying this as someone who has demonstrated mostly in the United States that governments never need an excuse to use violence. Folks who are listening to this who have been to protests in the United States and have experienced rubber bullets, tear gas, quote-unquote less than lethal weaponry, have experienced brutality at the hands of police, know that you don't need to be doing anything (laughs) to be attacked by police. Uh, Their existence as an oppressive state is violence. I mean that as the police and also, of course, the state as itself that is violence. Property destruction is something else. Self-defense is something else. And unfortunately, I again, this is not something that Layla and I discussed because I felt that her perspectives, her historical and present day context was more important than a friendly debate about defining violence or discussing, uh, you know, you know how, how demonstrators act in the streets. But I wanted to put that forward because this is this is something that I've talked about quite a bit. And to me, it's an important distinction. And at the same time, I can also recognize the use of instigators that will do things like property destruction or even violence against people and then say that it's a part of these demonstrations when it's not. And this is something that the U.S. has done a lot of as well. 
in in various places, whether that be Hong Kong or in, indeed in Iran. So I think it's important to recognize that as well. Again, nuance, multiple things can be true at, at, at the same time. So with that in mind, I want to shift to this conversation uh, with with Layla and also something to think about in in listening to this interview and moving forward, the power of storytelling, the power of sharing the the context, the history, the stories, the lived experiences of people is so important, not just for recognizing the nuance or the realities of a situation, in this case, Iran, but also in terms of building solidarity, right? We can't build solidarity with people who we have no idea about, who we've never we've never heard anything about their lives we have no uh, no connection to their lived experiences we can't see images of our own lives mirrored in their experiences we need these stories to be told and that's why alternative media is so important but that's also why community organizing and building those networks across the world is so important so little food for thought there and now uh i will i will i will step back and we will head into this really instructive and uh important interview with iranian american peace activist leila zand thank you everyone for joining us here at the project censored radio show we're very glad right now to be joined by leila zand who is an iranian american scholar and activist focusing on peace and justice and anti-war specifically on Iran and U.S. relations and the Middle East, with expertise in interfaith dialogue and nonviolence communications. She immigrated to the U.S. from Iran in 2000, and she works with Code Pink and the Fellowship of Reconciliation. Leila, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I, I wanted to ask you on, uh, because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of news about Iran right now, specifically because of what happened recently. Uh, Masa Amini, or, or also known as Gina, I understand that she's Kurdish and her, her real name was, her given name was Gina, uh, was targeted by the morality police on September 13th and later died after falling into a coma. And first of all, I, I, I wanted to get some of the backstory here because I feel like anything that's coming up into the U.S. about Iran is going to be twisted. So I wanted to get kind of context to what's going on here. What do we need to understand about the situation vis-a-vis the the rules around uh, how women can appear in Iran and the morality p- police? Um, I studied history, so I, I, I really am interested in genealogy and the historical background. So um, since 1979, that Islamic revolution took place, um, the um, conversation around hijab or covering or women covering themselves has been a, um, a very tense conversation among two different groups. One majority of people, or I say average people in the streets, and um, the Ayatollahs, the leader of the Islamic Revolution, Khomeini then, when he was in Paris, before he comes to the, into Iran, in his conversation, he talked about, um, you know, having freedom in Iran and nobody has to, although it's an Islamic revolution, but nobody has to go specifically on Islamic um, uniforms or Islamic, um, um, you know, law. But when he came, of course, 
almost everything has changed. I want to point out at the Iran-Iraq war, because immediately after the revolution, the war took place, and a lot of people had to keep quiet because the unity, because they wanted to have the unity around the flag, um, you know, fighting with the enemy, basically, who invaded part of our country in southern part of Iran. So. That was a problem that started from then. And I was then, I was very young, maybe I was not even in first grade, but in the first grade, I went to school without any head cover, without any hijab. By little by little, uh, throughout my elementary school, um, the uniform changed. And that was a conversation at the beginning of the revolution, at the beginning after the revolution, actually, a couple of demonstrations took place by women that they were opposed to the hijab, to the mandatory hijab. And it was a kind, kind of, nobody was, was sure that what kind of law or Islamic law or hijab law is going to be on the uh, new constitution or not. Um, and a couple of demonstrations took place by women. It was, uh, and then as, as I said, when the war took place, every everyone kept quiet and nobody talked about that anymore. In, at the, when Khomeini died at the end of 80s, uh, so it was a revision to the constitution. This, this time, the um, idea of hijab came to the constitution, that women had to cover themselves. But it's not anything um, particularly talking about what kind of covering and you know, and it, it's depend, it depends on people's um, definition of what hijab means. You're tuned to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. I'm Eleanor Goldfield with Mickey Huff. Now, back to our program. I should say the, this is um, based on my personal observation. Majority of people who I, I see in Iran, they are not religious. This must be interesting because a lot of people, specifically in the United States, they think um, Iranian people are very religious. They are not that religious. I've traveled all around the Middle East also, and I've, you know, this, these are all personal um, observation. When I look at the people around, when I look at the Iranians, when I walk in the streets, I see at least from the perspective of me as a woman who grew up under the Islamic, Islamic Republic, I see Iranian people at least in the surface, at least the way that they cover themselves. They are not religious at all. And then in two years ago, now is in 2020, it was a study by the Iranian Majlis or Parliament that they did the study to find out how many percentage, because the idea of hijab is still as of you know, from the beginning to this day, is a um, is a kind of battle between two, three different groups. So, Majlis finally, the Parliament had is um, a study in 2020 and found out that only 20 percent of the Iranian women of all Iranians are interested into hijab, into mandatory hijab. So they came to the and this became a high level conversation among other people in the office in the government to find out what should we do because some people talk about those 20% are very powerful 
And, you know, they are the ones who are connected to the government. They are the ones who make main decisions. But at the same time, I should say my last trip to Iran was in 2018 before the latest president. It was during President Rouhani. I couldn't believe the way that I saw women are covering themselves. Basically, it was not any cover. It was kind of very small, you know, material in top of their hair. I was the one who was most covering that all my friends and family who whomever I saw and that is basically not just me people who travel from abroad when they go to Iran they cover themselves more properly because of the experience that we have you know um let me put it in the parenthesis right now I was 12 years old I was arrested by this morality police myself that why I'm showing some of the hair or one time because I had nail polish so it was very tough when I was growing up there but now, little by little, specifically after the reformist era, after President Khatami came to office in 1997, this the society has changed a lot. There are a lot of openings. You know, people are um, have a freedom on what to wear, what to do, and specifically on women. But that was until last year, apparently, since. Um, the latest president came to office, President Raisi. Um, the morality police, which always was present when I was growing up in Iran, their presence became um, more obvious in the streets. This is in my time they had a like SUV for you know soldier for soldier with the soldiers' uniform with the army uniforms. They came to the street and just reminded us that, you know, our hijab is not good, we should cover ourselves better, or, you know, sometimes if it was really bad, or if we had a makeup, or we had bright clothes on, um, they would take us into their um, offices in the police department. And so it was very scary, specifically, you know, going to the police um, offices, you know, as a teenager, it's very scary by itself. Anyway, now, uh, since uh, Raisi came to the office, and specifically we learned last week that it was a behind-the-closed-door meeting, and nobody knew about that till recent, recently, Raisi specifically asked her, his um, 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 officers, his um, ministers, that we should um, focus on hijab again. People are not, you know, following the rules and, you know, all of those things. In the past couple of, maybe in the past two months, I have been very worried myself because of the videos and the films that I saw is coming from Iran. Because in my time, it, it was the specific department that took care of the you know, people with the bad hijab. Now, uh, police is doing that. And police is not trained for doing any of these activities. So it was the videos that it was viral. And I saw like in one of them, they were just pulling a woman and 
the hijab supposed to, you know, cover yourself, not to showing, you know, your hair or your body parts. But they were pulling a young woman into the streets on, on the you know, ground. And she, actually one of her clothes, her shares came off because, you know, they were pulling her into the car, into the police car. It was devastating looking, looking at these pictures. I was very worried myself. And I, I thought, what a stupid idea, you know, because of many reasons. One, of course, because of the humanities reasons, because of the disrespect to to people and specifically to women. Again, men should make a decision to what women should wear, what women should do. And that is also besides Iran is experiencing a very difficult time right now. Financial condition, you know, economy is really bad. People are suffering because of the financial situation in Iran due to the sanctions. And a lot of people have, you know, if they have a specific sickness, like the patients, um, for example, the cancer patients or even patients who were um, suffering from chemical weapons that was used by Saddam Hussein during the war still are around and still are suffering and they don't have adequate medications you know the cancer patient don't have a medication so people are really battling for the necessity and the simple things in life that they deserve for every single day and we don't need to add this misery to their life this is besides all of those things that I already said so I saw a video, for example, a, a woman was begging these police people, the members of police, and said, please, my daughter is sick. Please don't take her. And they just grab and pull the girl into the uh, their car. So I don't know what happened in their car. Apparently, they bring like mini buses and they get all these women into that and they take them into a um, center which they suppose, code and code, teach them um, or how to properly, you know, properly wear dress or how properly cover your head. Sometimes we have seen that they actually hit these women in the, in these films we have seen, or they want they pull them and push them so they don't care about their safety, and it's it's very it's very ugly scenes that you see they do to another human being that deserves respect deserve you know so anyway um on that day apparently uh, Gina or um i think her kurdish name is Gina um or Mahsa um was from Kurdistan of Iran, Kurdistan in northwest of Iran. So they traveled to Tehran um, for vacation or for, for whatever it was. And um, this happened to her. So morality police came in front of her, apparently, you know, discussed with her hijab and everything. They put him in, into the van and took her into that specific office. We don't know what happened. They showed a film that she was okay in that. It was the cameras that it was, she was okay. I don't want to pay attention to any of them because my main problem is you don't have a right to make a decision for these women to what to wear what. And she was with her parents, apparently. Her parents follow her to that specific office. So what ever happens to her? Still, we don't know because her parents said, you know, she was okay till that moment. And then the police said we didn't 
you know, do anything to her. So any anyhow, whatever happened, unfortunately, she lost her life under the police custody. I, I say there is a conversation among people. I was, before I come here, I was on the clubhouse. Iranians are, you know, frequently go to clubhouse and they talk. I was there and it was a conversation between two groups of people. One group said, oh, she was sick already such and such a year. She had this surgery and she had a problem already. You know, she was not that healthy. Other group said, oh, she was healthy. This happened on, you know, the police beat her up and this happened. My, my, you know, idea is we don't want to know if, if she was there, if you didn't get her or whatever, if anything happened to her, her parents were responsible or her, her family were responsible. We don't care if she was sick or not. She, you are not allowed to, you know, control people's life. This is my main, you know, just argument on this. But anyway, that was the trigger for these series of demonstrations that is taking place and sometimes and so far actually the news is coming from iran in many different cities people argue the police brutality is not as much as they have seen before in some some argue that um you know on um on the other side, you know, they, like everything is controlled by the government, including the TV and radio. And we never heard any other stories than the government's story. But this time they invited people who were not allowed to go to, you know, to the TV and talk to the radio and talk to invited people, quote unquote, opposition members of the Islamic Republic to go there and have a conversation and talk about their own perspective of, of these ideas. This is a huge step in, in my mind because they never accepted any other voices except themselves. And some people, you know, argue that um, these kids, you know, the, the things that we know so far, apparently um, people who are in the streets are very young, under 30 years old. Uh, people um, who've never seen you know, revolution, war, and those are my generations. But these people in the streets are very young, in their 20s. And some people argue that um, these young people, they don't have any hope because you know of the economy, because of the situation they have been facing, because of the dictatorship that they never had the voice. Now they really don't care what happened to them. They said, either we are going to make the change we want or you know we die. These are the arguments I hear from the Iranians you know there on the streets. Um, as I should also add, unfortunately, since yesterday, the Internet is blocked in Iran and we don't hear a lot of new voices. These are most people who are talking. They are hearing it, hearing these stories from others, from their family members or friends inside Iran. But these people themselves are outside. So um, but what? makes me really concerned, especially with the experience of Syria and, and Libya and, you know, these civil wars that we have seen is, first of all, on the first day that this happened, because Rina was from Kurdistan of Iran and Kur Kurdish people, you know, there are groups from that area that they are talking about separation. 
separation of Kurdistan. And these people get support from, you know, financial support and technical support and technical support from outside, including Israel, Saudi Arabia and United States. So on the first day, they started to have, you know, like um, Iranian speaking Farsi speaking media outside of Iran, mainly in United States or Europe, including, um, you know, like BBC or um, Voice of America. These people, these um, channels interviewed Kurdish separatists from these groups and they said, oh, they have killed, you know, they wanted to misuse Massa or Gina's name for their own interests and their own benefit. And they started, you know, they had the um, Kurdistan flag instead of Iranian flag and then they came they had um, you know just in these conversations that oh they killed another Kurdish person but the idea you know Massa this happened to Massa not because he was Kurdish this happened to her because she was a woman and you know and that could happen to anyone as I told you that happened to me when I was 12 years old that happened to many other people but these people wanted to use that I was very worried about this you're listening to the project censored show on Pacifica radio this is Eleanor Goldfield with Mickey Huff we'll continue our program after this brief musical break stay with us Another thing that makes me really concerned is you know, there are two different groups in Iran right now, pro and against this, you know, government. Basically, majority of young people who are in the streets, who are tired and have right to have the demonstration. And in Iranian constitution, it gives right to people to do nonviolent demonstrations, but they need to get a permission from the government. Government doesn't give them permission, but gives permission to those who support them, which they had the permission to do that today on Friday and after Friday praying, they did the demonstration against the quote unquote, they call it riots and against these demonstrators. The problem is right now, what makes me concerned is the civil war, of course. And because of these people who do the demonstration, like these young generation who are tired and have right to do them demonstrations. Unfortunately, there are individuals among them who started to make some violent actions and they burn, you know, stores, they actually burned a policeman in one of the cities. 
they you know destroy public you know stores um, gas stations and whatever belong to public and these are very wrong i believe because of two main reasons one these kind of violent acts give permission to the government to use violence and says okay you are destroying these things that belong to the to everybody to the public and then you you know they can shoot at these people and also you know it's just of course violence is bad in no matter who use it and against them is something that um, it doesn't have a good result. It never had a good result. I'm very worried about that. And I give absolutely right to people who demonstrate, who rally, who, you know, says whatever. My suggestion was, please take off your scarves, everybody, and just go into the streets. You don't have to burn, you know, gas stations or buildings or cars to show you are opposite to something, to show your opposition. But also, there are a lot of people. I love those scenes that I've seen in the videos that um, some young people, they take their scarves and they burn them which is very symbolic and I think it's beautiful. And I, I, I love to support them and I do that, except the violence, you know, that, they, that it's taking place sometimes, unfortunately. So, well, thank, <laughs> thank you for all of that, that, that uh, context. I think that's very helpful. I want to I understand, and I think the listeners would like to as well, to understand what hijab can mean for different people. Uh, for instance, I saw a, a poster and I, I, of course, don't speak Farsi. So I, I'm assuming that the person on online translated it correctly. But uh, it's it's it shows a woman wearing hijab and it says, with your hijab, you cut the hand of imperialism. And it's a poster from the late 70s, the early 80s. And it talks about how the hijab was used as a symbol not only of Islam but uh, but against imperialism, so I'm curious if you can if you can talk a little bit about how hijab is is a symbol for a, a few different things that people might relate to in different ways uh, in Iran. Yeah, um, yeah. They sometimes say that, and they said hijab brings um, safety. You know, there are these are the slogans or is fighting with imperialism. That is specifically, I, ha I haven't seen this one that you mentioned, but it makes sense. I can you know, understand if there is something like that. And the main idea is uh, in early 20th century, the, you know, the, before the revolution, we have the Pahlavi dynasty, the late Shah. His father, who was the king, the Shah of Iran, in early 20th century, in the uh, process toward modernization of Iran, this is another, it's very interesting, the hijab and women in Iran. By force, he took scarves out of women's head. So women were not allowed to cover their head. Uh, you know, my grandmother or great-grandmother talked about it and said, you know, for weeks, I didn't want to go out because all my life I covered my hair and now I was showing my ears and my neck, you know, to people I was very uncomfortable. Yeah, or, you know, the, in Iran, it was a lot of public bath. 
And that is the time that the private bath inside of home actually started to be built because women didn't want to go to public bath. They didn't want to go out. So it was by force. And the idea of hijab in general, um, before, Islam, before Islam comes to Iran, you know, Islam came to Iran in 680, in almost 1400 years ago. Before that, Iranians were Zoroastrians. Zora, you know, they practiced Zoroastrianism. So in that time, they, um, for Iranians, in a, for women in a higher level of society, when they wanted to go out, they would have covered themselves, their head. Or, you know, if they went to the, um, like, very special uh, gatherings of places. Like today in Christianity, when people go to the church, they cover their head, a little thing. So that was the sign of respect for everyone. Um, but it was not hijab. In Islam, even, there is an argument among scholars. Some people said in Quran, it says only uh, tell the prophet um, to um, tell his wives to cover yourself. It doesn't say cover what and what part of your bodies. And because of that, there is no um, solid you know, understanding and what does that mean. Um, personally, based on what I've heard, most of the idea of hijab is coming from you know, men, patriotism, and they want they want to control women's body, basically. And it, I actually, I was very surprised when I traveled into the Middle East and I found out there are many different Muslims <laughs> and uh, many different um, idea of hijab because in Saudi Arabia uh, and in Afghanistan, hijab, that means, you know, people cover even their face and hold their body. In Iran, majority of people who are really religious and they want to cover themselves, the only areas of their body that they can show is their face. So that means they cover their hair totally and their neck and everything. So mainly like nuns, so they can, they can show their face and their hands. And, but, you know, this, this was the main idea for hijab. And when I went to school, it was like that. We had to, you know, cover every part of our body, but, but this two sides in two parts, like hands and face. But now, because it's by force, actually a lot of religious people are very disappointed as well. They say, these women who are wearing hijab, this is not hijab because you show all your hair and you just have a pretty little things on top of your head and you call it hijab or covering your hair. But basically this is the way you are disrespecting hijab and disrespecting the idea of, you know, of hijab. But and these are you know all these conversations but back to what you said on imperialism i guess most of the time specifically this was the conversation after the islamic revolution that they refer to the father of the late shah reza shah his name was as a pop and shah himself as a puppet of the united states or big powers mostly himself as a puppet of the united states and his father as you know puppet of the imperialist or the big powers like British then then and um, so because he did that by force 
um, took the hijab out of women's head. And then later his um, son, although he didn't do by force, but the advertisement also, you know, any woman who want to be successful, they should be modern and modernity means showing your head and showing, you know, and me, because I went to school all 12 years, I went to, um, you know, basic education was in Iran. What I learned that, you know, in in your in outside world in America and in Europe, uh, women are not respected because they are used as a, you know, just a pleasure tool for men because, you know, they show their hair, they show their body. So this was my understanding of how uh, women are in the West. And I am the good one because I don't let men use me as a tool. So I cover myself and all of those. But you know, I didn't know that they are using me also because they are forcing me their opinion on me. So these are the, um, I think that makes it a little bit more complicated. And a lot of women also talk about this. I said, um, if the late Shah, his father, um, by force took this scarf out of women's head, now you are putting it back by force and you never give women to choose themselves. So that is a main problem. Right. Yeah. It's like just the, the problem isn't that they're they're not wearing it or that they're wearing it. The problem is that you're forcing it either way and people should have the right to choose to dress however they like to dress yeah. <laughs> and however it however it means to them. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's very interesting, too, that 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 people who are religious in Iran, which again, you said that there aren't that many uh, from what you've seen, feel that oftentimes the way that hijab is forced on people is a like the way they wear it is disrespectful because you're wearing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's, that's also a very interesting point. Um, I kind of, I, I wanted to circle back a little bit to these protests because something that I've been seeing, and again, not only am I seeing it several people removed because now there's no internet, but also because I don't speak Farsi. Uh, some of the things that I'm seeing are that, um, you know, Kurdish people are treated more poorly uh, than regular Iranian citizens. And so that this is something that needs to be discussed in Iran. Uh, also see, hearing that that there are there are demands that basically uh, this government be replaced and that that to me as an American is worrisome because that's what the U.S. wants. I'm I'm curious, like what what are what do you feel like are some of these demands, and do you feel from your experience that there is something in this that Kurdish people are treated poorly in in Iran? Not because they, yes, but not because they are Kurdish. You know, there are in. Um, borders of Iran, all of the regions at the borders, like Kurdistan of Iran, or even the um, southern parts um, that we had the war, like um, the Khuzestan and the other side, Baluchistan, all of these areas, because are the borders, you know, that was my argument. And this is what they told me. I said, you know, why they are so poor, especially because they suffered throughout the eight years of Iran-Iraq war. They suffered really badly. And now they deserve the best. But this was the argument I heard from some people who work in that area. They said, um, basically, because always there is a tension there in in the borders. And specifically, they are under target from the outside world 
as I mentioned, you know, separatists. Often government and even in the previous government also, they never want to spend a lot of money there. They are always worried that, you know, if they spend more money, the money will be gone immediately if anything happens. This is their argument. I think it made some sense, some, but, you know, they, they deserve, of course, much better. I, I was in Tehran, as I said, in 2018. I actually met a couple of Kurdish educated young boys who came to Tehran and work in the restaurants and other places because there is no job and there was no job. But I want to say, just put it in the perspective of the Iran today, Iran is suffering from, you know, very bad economy. And this is not the only Kurdish, everyone is suffering, but also the areas in the borders that traditionally have had not as have not been as comfortable as people in the major cities with Esfahan, Shiraz or Tehran. So they are suffering more, of course, because, you know, if people don't have a job in Tehran, um, let's say they used to come at least in Tehran to get a job. Now there is no job in Tehran either. So I want to say this is in general. Um, but you know, right now, for example, I see um, that a lot of people in majority of Iranians, of course, don't speak Kurdish, but a lot of people in different streets in various cities in Iran, they are and their slogan is in Kurdish um, as a respect to Jina uh, or Masa. Uh, so, you know, they, their slogans in the Kurdish, they just even people from Azerbaijan of Iran, you know, Turkish people and others. So I want to say yes, but that doesn't mean that because they are Kurdish, because they are not equal, because they are, you know, it doesn't mean that. Um, but everyone's everyone's life in Iran is is in a very tough time. But um, your your second question was, um... yeah, basically, I you know, I, I respect everybody's right to choose uh, a government and the United States government does not respect that right. And so yeah. if the demands on the street are yeah. for a different government, are you worried that the U.S. might try to use that to further uh, weaken Iranians uh, government yeah. by through violence? Yeah. You're tuned to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. I'm Eleanor Goldfield with Mickey Huff. Now, back to our program. Yeah, yes. Uh, I, I think actually what I told you about the violence that is used by some people, there is some argument that these are not average Iranians who are using violence. These are the people who want to make it into really a civil war style, to make the government really weak in order to have the change, the force from outside. So um, I, and I believe that these are not average citizens. These are people who get support either financially or, you know, technical and tactical from outside. And I would say from the United States as a as a top, but then also others. Um, these are the people who want everything to get worse. And I am very much worried about that. And this is why, you know, I always argue with these people online when they are, I said, just stick to your, to your demand on hijab. Don't 
expanded into other things because first of all those who want to see the civil war to get to see you weak to see you you know are destroyed from within these are those people would get so happy and the government would get so happy because they can use force against you so yes i am very worried and i think if you tell me there are a lot of hands at work right now to use this opportunity on for the benefit of Israel and the United States, I am not surprised. I believe that because, you know, I see things like, for example, burning a policeman. How can you do that? And if you are, you know, even if you're that angry, but there are people who have who have been trained for these moments. And we know Israel has a lot of influence in Iran. You know, how many Iranian scientists have been killed by Israel and how much money the U.S. is spending to, for the regime change in Iran? What is better than this, that people are doing the hard work themselves? So, yes, I am worried very much. <clears throat> so finally kind of wrapping up here, I'm curious, like what what would be your hope, both as an Iranian and an American uh, what would be your hope for Iran? And also what would be your hope for the United States in terms of relations with Iran? And when, what would you like Americans to understand about the situation? Sometimes I would like to close my eyes and think that I'm in the, you know, my own imaginary world, the world that I see, you know, a lot of Americans come to Iran and visit Iran. It's so beautiful. It's a very beautiful country. They come and then I see that, you know, they are celebrating their friendships. I like to, for Iran, a lot of Iranians to meet with Americans. I like, I like to have, to see a normal relationship rather than uh, lack of any relationship and creating a creature in our mind from the other side that doesn't understand us and doesn't know our story. I want to see an opportunity that people hear each other's stories and listen to one another. So people apologize, you know, to one another for everything they have done to each other, at least, you know, in, in the past 50, 60 years that we have been around. And then um, I would love to see all of those. I, I And I, I love to see this event um, ends with a success. And success to me, you know, I'm thinking maybe I'm that old that I think just gaining a little bit is wonderful. So people right now, for example, let me go back there. People in the streets called for the end of the regime, for the death to harmony and all of that. So just because you are angry at the, you know, the mandatory hijab, you are not going to the, you know, do the regime change. Just if you gain this freedom for your own body, if you get the right to make a decision for your own body and how to dress, this is a big success. And then nonviolently, we can go forward and the next step and the next step and the next one. But this is happening today and um, I, it makes me a little worried, but I'm thinking if one day, you know, 
I don't know, should I still talk about JCPOA? I, I'm not hopeful at all. <laughs> but, you know, if happens or not happens, I would love to see a day that these governments even, you know, they visit each other's countries. They open a um, embassies, their embassies in one another's countries. I would like a day that if I want to take my daughters in, in Iran, their friends don't tell them that, but you are an American. If you go there, they will, you know, they will get you, they will arrest you. Or I, I want to, you know, right now, today I was talking with these friends and I was thinking, I wish I could go there. I'm scared to go there. You know, and here I'm scared to talk about anything. You know, it's it's like our 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 world is getting a little um, suffocating. I guess sometimes we have a lot to talk and we have a lot to um, just uh, discuss with one another. But sometimes it's very difficult. The fear is everywhere. Yeah, I like to see, um, like you guys in Europe, you 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 know, you just travel easily here and there. So I would love to see every, you know, everywhere in the world to be like that. No visas even. <laughs> no, um, you know, permission from someone who doesn't know us, the government, the you know, that they create all of these obstacles uh, for us not to know each other. Yeah, very, very well put. And I know I said that that's the last question, but I just have to ask one question because one of the things that <clears throat> that I speak a lot about is the end of U.S. empire, which would not be, you know, like you, you were mentioning, like you take one thing, like the hijab, and you focus on that and you say, like, let's change this one thing. And I feel like for, for me as an American, I oftentimes say that I just want the U.S. empire to end because the whole thing is just horror. It's, it's, it's the largest terrorist organization in the world. And that's not one thing. It's not like, hey, let's just get universal health care, although I do believe in that, too. But and so I'm curious, like, what would you say to someone who says that thing, this is the, the, it's too rotten? There's like too much wrong to just say, let's change one thing. What would you say to someone who who, who makes that argument? I only would say, yes, a lot of people also before us wanted to do that. They couldn't do even the small step let's let's let us think about like for example the black movement the civil rights movement here in the united states it has been a long path and still you know the black community are suffering still they've been killed here and there with no consequences for others but i've been in this country for 20 years I see a huge change, even in that area, you know, but and they wanted to get just to um, right to vote 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years, 60 in 60s. But, you know, they got it. And for a while, maybe they were happy, but they learned very soon that this is not equality. Still, they have a long way to go. And then this generation came and they came with another step forward. So I think I see maybe it's not it doesn't happen in my time and your time, but maybe in our children or children of children, you know, time, but still is, is a very strong step. And if we want, I always think if we want, yes, I don't like U.S. imperialism. But at the same time, I think if we make a little awareness about the money the United States spent for a war machine, the money that 
this country spends, actually this country has changed a lot toward worse, a lot of ways toward worse since I came here. And I see that the money that is spent in the elections, you know, these are the things that if we change them, if we really structurally change them, that would be a big success. Because if we bring someone into the office, can can vote for no more, you know, money for war, no more money for, you know, other things that basically war again, <laughs> and instead going for a lot of other things that people need. You know, sometimes, you know, in, I went to, in Iran in 2018, a lot of things with that economy in Iran was much, much better than the United States with that economy. You know, and we can make these things to change. But if we go for a very big one, yes, U.S. imperialism is very ugly. You know, if people in the Middle East, they know it very well, firsthand, you know, U.S. militarism is very ugly. And, you know, we know it in firsthand. But at the same time, if we go by that, I guess our voice will be not as loud as can can be reached to people to those who can make a decision and to those who in other otherwise we could change their mind people like ourselves our neighbors our families we can change their mind um this is it came to my mind right now but you know i'd love to see one day in my lifetime that this situation is changed i i would love to see it we want to smash crash blast smash blast the system we want to get it i get it live get with the mission we want the crowd out and that does it for another episode of the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm Eleanor Goldfield, co-hosting with Mickey Huff. For this episode, I've also been your associate producer, and Anthony Fest is our senior producer. Project Censored Radio airs on roughly 50 stations across the U.S., from Maui to New York. And you can find all our previous archived programs by going to projectcensored.org. Please follow and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram just before we get deplatformed. And be sure to subscribe to the official Project Censored show on your digital tethering devices podcast application. Please feel free to contact us, share your feedback, or learn more about our work at projectcensored.org. And see our new publishing imprint, The Censored Press, at censoredpress.org. To learn more about my work or to contact me specifically, please visit my website at artkillingapathy.com. You can also follow me on social media at Radical Eleanor. Last but not least, thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Think about criminal minds, political ties, habitualized alibis.